Welcome to episode 84 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Below, and I'm really happy that you've chosen to share your time with me today. This podcast has been going strong since 2010, and during that time, I've made adjustments here and there to continue to improve what I'm offering you. In the spirit of keeping things fresh and relevant, I'm going to be shaking up the format a bit, and I hope you're going to be hearing this podcast a little more often than two times a month. So over the next few episodes, you're going to hear a bit of an evolution. It's one of the great things that I love about podcasting. There's always room for experimentation. Before we jump into my interview with today's guest, I have three important things to share with you. My intention is to help you grow your business and overall just have a really good life. First, one of the ways that I tend to define introversion is in terms of energy as opposed to personality. And because of that, I find myself talking about managing your energy quite a bit, especially when it comes to building a sustainable business. And where I'm focusing on this today is thinking about managing your energy as opposed to your time. We often talk about time management and and trying to make the most of our time. But really, I think for introverts especially, it's about making the most of your energy. Time is finite and non-renewable, whereas your energy is something that you can take control of. If you want to get started on thinking about this differently, I recommend a book called The Power of Full Engagement by Jim Lair and Tony Schwartz. It's been out for, I want to say, a little over a decade, but yet it still continues to be a bestseller and high on the list for people who are looking for that work-life balance and energy management information. Number two, and this really has to do with energy as well, and something that I have been working with lately, stop letting competition rent free space in your head. We can tend to get a little bit wrapped up in what everybody else is doing. Even if we don't call them our competition, we can watch what they're doing and think, oh, I should be doing more and look what they're doing and all the shoulds start showing up. And few things are more draining of our energy. I have a great quote from an author named Shannon Alder, and she says, The battle you are going through is not fueled by the words or actions of others. It is fueled by the mind that gives it importance. And the third and last thing I want to share with you is about how you can get past those feelings of competition or comparison. And I'd like to recommend another book. And this one is from one of my colleagues named Peg Markworth. And her new book helps you to focus on your unique message and stop the comparison game. It's called Competition is Irrelevant, and it combines smart content with workbook space to record your thoughts and ideas. As the description of the book on Amazon reads, Competition is Irrelevant offers a step-by-step process to identify your unique offering, define your best clients, and determine effective communication strategies. And I know it's smart because Peg is smart, and I've seen the book and know it can help any entrepreneur who wants to focus his or her energy, rather than diluting it by trying to be all things to all people. You can find Peg's book on Amazon. Search by the title, Competition is Irrelevant, or by her name, Peg Markworth, and Markworth is spelled M-A-R-C-K-W-O-R-T-H. And now on to the conversation. In this episode, I speak with John Worolo, creator of the Value Builder System, a statistically proven methodology for improving a company's value by up to 71%. 
John is the author of the best-selling book, Built to Sell, Creating a Business That Can Thrive Without You, which was recognized by both Fortune and Inc. magazine as one of the best business books of 2011. John's new book, The Automatic Customer, Creating a Subscription Business in Any Industry, was released by Random House in February 2015. Prior to starting the Value Builder system, John started and exited four companies, including a quantitative market research business that was acquired by the Corporate Executive Board in 2008. John has been recognized by B2B Marketing as one of the top 10 business-to-business marketers in the United States. An aging but avid sportsman, John has dragged his body around five marathon courses, one Ironman triathlon, and the Le Tape de Tour bike race. Please forgive me if I mispronounce that. <laughs> John was born in England and grew up in Canada. He now lives with his family in Toronto. Hi, John. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I am um, so pleased to be talking with you today. Well, thanks for having me, Beth. Well, what is making you smile today? <laughs> my uh, my son is in the tennis tournament, and he's a, a very uh, avid uh, tennis player. And so uh, it always makes me smile when I see him march off to uh, to battle his buddies in tennis. It's a it's a great uh, thing to be a father. Oh, awesome! How old is your son? He's ten. I've got two sons, eight and ten. Uh-huh. This one I'm I'm referring to is ten. So. Is ten. So it's a rather it's probably a very serious and intense business for him right now. <laughs> very intense. A ten year old, yeah, everything is gargantuan in their mind. Exactly. <clears throat> well, um our I would like to know, I'm sure our listeners would like to know, where do you tend to fall on the introvert extrovert spectrum? And how has that awareness influenced you as an entrepreneur? I'm a closeted introvert. You know, mm-hmm. I you know, I think if people were to kind of see me out in the, in public or whatever, they say, "Oh, that guy must be a fairly extroverted guy." I I do mm-hmm. a lot of speaking. I have a, you know a couple of books, so I have to promote those. I'm always doing speeches and and podcasts and and the rest of it. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, though, I I find that I I find it quite exhausting and mm-hmm. um and not fulfilling. It doesn't energize me in a way where I get re-energized, which is my understanding of the definition of an introvert, is I, I get re-energized when I'm alone, when I'm just right. kind of structuring my day, thinking about things that have happened, good and bad. That's when I get sort of excited and re-energized. So that's why I think I'm probably a closeted introvert. Yeah. Have you found that you mm, structure your days or schedule or, or choose your speaking engagements and whatnot with that in mind? Is there a balance that you have found that you are kind of naturally seeking out? I mean, my big thing is is, is the first hour of the day. I, I really try to carve out uh, the first hour to do something strategic. I find um, the balance of my day tends to be fairly somewhat reactive, lots of interaction with employees, lots of interaction with issues that come up, you know, various things. Um, so I really try to carve out an hour in the morning before the kids get up, before my wife gets up and, and focus on uh, one strategic project. That's the way I sort of energize myself and stay grounded. Yeah, exactly. That's the word that was popping into my head was grounded. It sounds like a very powerful grounding practice. Um, mm. thank, thank you for sharing that. Um, so 
I want to talk with you about freedom, because <laughs> I sense that that is, you know, a, a huge underlying theme in all of the work that you do. And from conversations that I've had with introvert, uh, well, with introverts, but entrepreneurs of all types, especially introverts, uh, there's one thing that they tend to share in common, and that's a desire for freedom. Before we jump into how we can create freedom, I'm wondering what you have seen as some of the ways that you see entrepreneurs get in the way of the freedom that they desire. Selling too many things. Um, mm. What I find is that in order to build a business that is freeing, that is not reliant and dependent on you personally, um, you need to stop selling so much stuff. And what I think happens is a natural thing. Entrepreneurs are, are tend to be great ambassadors for their companies. They tend to be, offer great customer service to their customers. And, and customers see that. They see the whites of the eyes. And they see the enthusiasm. And customers start to ask the entrepreneur to supply them with more and more things because once you've found a good supplier, customers want to buy more from them. And over time, I think customers start to ask you to supply them with more and more and more things. To by after a year or two, you're selling a few customers a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is you can't train employees with enough rigor and enough uh, consistency to develop and offer a broad swath of products. What, what employees do really well, and when you can free yourself of your business is what you, when you've got employees doing things again and again and again and again so they know how to do them really well. Mm-hmm. And so what I think really sucks the freedom away of most entrepreneurs is selling, again, too many things to too few people. And what you, I think, want to really focus on is selling fewer things to lots of people. It's really just turning that on its ear and saying, I've got to find a few things that I can scale up and sell to lots of people as opposed to the opposite. I love that because that's so in line with um, kind of a tendency of introverts in general, which is to go deep rather than broad. So we'd Mm. rather do, you know, a few things really well, you know, to the level of mastery um, and have, you know, sort of command of them rather than trying to spread ourselves really thin. Yeah. and, And try to be everything to everyone. And it's exactly the opposite business advice you get from 90% mm-hmm. of business pundits. They will say, cross-sell, 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 cross-sell. Yeah. You know, 80% of your customers, are, 20% of your customers are going to give you 80% of your revenue. They will, they will drive home the fact that the most profitable way to grow your business is to sell to your existing customers. And while I agree with that, it is the most profitable way, it's mm-hmm. also a recipe for destroying your freedom. Yeah. So you wrote a book called The Automatic Customer. And that is based on, you know, purporting a, a subscription-based model that I think is going to lead to that kind of freedom that we're, we're talking about perhaps in a, in a different way than the um, limiting of, of products. But would you tell us a little bit more about the automatic customer? Like, what is that? And what types of businesses might be best suited for the subscription model that you outline? Yeah, an automatic customer is someone who repurchases from you automatically. And so in the transaction economy, in the old style of economy, you, you know, you'd run advertising, trying to stimulate customers to call you up and, and buy from you. And, and mm-hmm. with automatic customers, you and the customer agree that you are going to be a customer for a period of time. And the classic model is the subscription business model. So, for example, today when you buy software, you don't go into Staples and buy it, you know, box of software, you, you subscribe. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a natural business model for subscription companies. But, but I actually wrote the book because I wanted 
companies in every industry to know that you could create some recurring revenue. I'll give you an example. Um, H. Bloom is a subscription-based flower store. And you think flower, selling flowers is the classic transaction economy, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the sales of flowers are sold around Mother's Day and Valentine's Day. Um, You have to stimulate demand every other day of the year. And the way H. Bloom did it is said, no, we're not going to sell to just the average Joe who buys flowers. We are going to sell to hotels and spas who buy flowers on a recurring basis. And we're going to do that as a business model. And so now H. Bloom only sells subscriptions to flowers. So when they buy, when they sell a subscription that comes with replenishing flowers every two weeks, and the average lifetime value of an H. Bloom subscriber is over $4,000. You compare mm-hmm. that with the average transaction of a flower store, which is something like $29 in America. Right. So again, you'd never think flowers. What, how, how, would, <laughs> how would you create subscription flowers? Well, part of it is figuring out who in your customer base buys from you on a regular cadence, or at least has the need to buy from you on a regular sort of schedule. Yeah, you're reminding me of um, food and wine and cheese. You know, people are subscribing to a Three monthly. Three of my favorites. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I hit the trifecta. Exactly. Um, it seems like, especially that story about the, the flowers, it, it, it requires a shift in looking at, well, who is the customer that is going to be doing this? So if you try a subscription model without exploring the range of customers that might respond to that, you might be missing an opportunity, it sounds like. Exactly right. And I think you could do it in one of two ways. I think you can look at your business and say, who's my ideal customer? Mm -hmm. And in in a perfect world, if I could, you know, reprogram their brain, how would I have them buy from us? What would they buy through which channel and what frequency, et cetera? So that's one way you can start to carve out your subscription model. The other way is actually almost the opposite is is to say, who are my, you know, my promiscuous customers, my (laughs) customers who buy from me once in a while, but also buy from my competitors. What could I design to structure, to actually lock in their loyalty, to get them to to buy from me on a regular basis? Think think about a swimming pool uh, installation company. So they install a swimming pool, you know, they have a shop, they, they put their sign up, they run advertising in the spring to get you to come in and buy the chlorine. Mm-hmm. And they hope that you call them in the fall to close up, you know, uh, the swimming pool. But if you actually put swimming pool maintenance on a recurring subscription business model and you said, look, subscribe annually and we're going to take care of all of your swimming pool needs. We're going to open up in the spring. We're going to rebalance the chemicals every two weeks and we're going to close up in the fall. And that's going to cost you one fixed monthly fee. Mm-hmm. The customers who might be more price sensitive to shop around for chlorine against the other five competitors in the market might opt into that offer because they enjoy, you know, the do it for you nature of that offer. And you've then just locked in not only what you would have gotten at, from them as a supplier, as a customer, but also, you know, locked out some of the competitors that might have tempted them with a great offer on chlorine one week or whatever. So that's another way to think about building a in what ways, besides just this idea of convenience, do you incentivize? I mean, do you incentivize a subscription model? In order to sell a subscription, I think you you very much have to build, I call it a 10x value proposition versus 10%. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody is going to subscribe to Flowers by H. Bloom to save 10%. If mm-hmm. given the choice, every customer would rather retain all of their control and, and buy a la carte when they want it. But what H. Bloom does is say, if you subscribe, we're going to get you flowers, I think it's eight days faster in the supply chain than if you walk into a flower store. Because the way flower stores buy flowers is they buy them through this dense, complicated, labyrinth 
of suppliers and wholesalers and distributors. And by the time the flower actually gets to the flower store, mm-hmm. you know, it's 10 or 12 days old, closer to mm-hmm. dying in the case of a flower. And most flower stores throw out 50% of their inventory every month because it's dead rotting in their fridge. And so what H. Bloom does is say, we know exactly how many subscribers you want. We know exactly what flowers you want. So we're going to just cut the flowers and ship them to you overnight. So they're, I think it's eight days. I may get the date wrong, but the premise is they get the flowers to you much faster. So they live much longer and you can sell them much longer and they'll be on your reception table much longer, much fresher. That's one of the benefits to subscribing at, Mm -hmm. you know, Microsoft Office 365, you subscribe. And in part, the benefit is, look, we're going to download the security and privacy patches as soon as they become available. So you don't have to monkey around with Symantec and Norton antivirus and worry that you are going to be susceptible to viruses. As soon as our engineers identify a virus, we're going to feed the patch directly into your subscription. So you don't have to worry. Mm -hmm. So there's I think you can't just throw it a 10% offer, like subscribe to our teeth cleaning service at a dental practice (laughs) and save 10%. People are just going to say no. Mm -hmm. But if you can start to carve out a value proposition that's 10 times more value, I mean, you think about Netflix. I mean, it'd be hard to argue that you're not getting 10 times the value compared with like ordinary cable when for 10 bucks a month, you can get hundreds of thousands of hours of television and and movies. I mean, the Mm -hmm. easy math to do. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, it sounds kind of funny, but I didn't really think about it, how much I'm a subscription gal. Like I, I'm a member of Amazon Prime and I do the subscribe and save. Perfect. And so, yeah, yeah and, and the, the convenience of having a 40-pound bag of dog food delivered to me every month <laughs> instead of having to traipse to the store. You know, it's I might save 15%, but it's not so much the 15% as it is the convenience of the delivery and knowing when it's going to arrive and that it saves me time and energy. Yeah, yeah. With Subscribe and Save, Amazon is using one of the nine or leveraging one of the nine subscription models. I wrote about in the book. Uh, it's mm-hmm. called the consumables model, mm-hmm. where you basically put on subscription anything that needs replenishment. So whether it's mm-hmm. dish soap, dish towel, razor blade, dollar shave club, anything like that. Uh, that runs out and the act of replenishing it is of no particular inherent enjoyment. That's the ideal circumstances for a consumables model. Yeah, great. So I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, great, I'd love to think about putting a subscription model as part of my business. What are the the most important things I need to consider right out of the gate? Well, I mean, I, th- I think you need to think about the big areas, which are one, um, what's it going to cost you to acquire a subscriber? Um, mm-hmm. CAC is, is an acronym that subscription companies use. It stands for customer acquisition costs. And basically what you're looking at is what is it going to cost me to win a customer? Because your CAC and the lifetime value of a subscriber are the two numbers that drive the, the potential of your company. Because mm-hmm. most investors, anyone who's looking to buy a subscription company, is looking for an LTV to CAC of at least three to one. So, so they're looking for a lifetime value of a subscriber to be at least three times bigger mm-hmm. than what it costs you to win her as a subscriber. So for round numbers, if a subscriber pays $1,000 a year and on average they stay three years with you, your lifetime value of a subscriber is $3,000. Mm-hmm. If it costs you any more than $1,000 to win that subscriber in terms of sales and marketing costs, you're underwater. You're never going to scale up. Whereas mm-hmm. if you can acquire subscribers for less than $1,000, in other words, have a, a higher than three to one LTV to CAC ratio, 
that means you're going to have a, a very sustainable, very predictable, very scalable subscription company. So that LTV to CAC number is going to be really important. Yeah. So you mentioned scalable, and that leads me to a question about um, your, I don't know if it was your first book, but back in, two, oh no, I'm sorry. You know, yeah, 2011, I'm sorry. Um, Built to Sell. What's the relationship between the automatic customer, which you just published this past February, and Built to Sell? Yeah, so built to sell, uh, as you say, it's, it's about taking a, an owner-operator business and and transforming it into a sellable asset. And and one of the things uh, within that sort of model is to create some recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I launched a, a company after writing built to sell that I realized how important recurring revenue is. So after I wrote built to sell, um, I built a new company called the Value Builder System. It's a company I run today, and we do and help businesses improve their value over time. Mm-hmm. And so we have these this questionnaire with these eight kind of key factors that drive the value of your business. And, and we look at the offers business owners get who go through our system, and we find that recurring revenue of all the eight drivers that we look at, recurring revenue is one of the most important factors in driving up the value of your company. And so that's really the link between the two books. I, I wanted to do a whole a book on on how do you create recurring revenue for businesses that aren't in the software space, for you know math tutors and construction companies and retail store operators, people who think, yeah, well, that's for software companies. I wanted to mm-hmm. say, no, you can create recurring revenue in all those businesses. Um, it just that you have to think creatively about these nine different models. Yeah, it's so important, I think, for introvert entrepreneurs to hear, because I think too often we can get trapped into time for money. And mm. and that is a real energy sapper. Like if we have to be physically present or emotionally or mentally present for every dollar that we're making, then that's a challenge and it, it creates a lack of sustainability. So that's what I'm appreciating about what you're offering here. Well, I think extroverts are, you know, they thrive off that that, mm-hmm. that energy of people, right? And the ability to be around other people. And they, I mean, they get energy from people like that. And so being on stage and, and selling your time for money, you know, that may be energizing a lot for mm-hmm. extroverts or for introverts. It would be a very painful way, I would think, to uh, <laughs> yeah. to live your life. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> At least yeah. that's one of my goals. You know, I, I keep saying moving from one to one to one to many, and it seems like what you're talking about in the automatic customer, as well as built to sell, is is in line with that particular uh, approach. I'm an introvert entrepreneur, and I'm listening to this, and I'm really like, okay, I'm I, I want that freedom. In addition to picking up those two books, <laughs> where would you suggest that I start? You know, I think. I, earlier, I mentioned one of the reasons that your freedom gets sucked away is is because you're selling too many things to too few customers. And so the way I think to, to get out of that trap is to scrutinize and evaluate your products and services that you provide today mm-hmm. against three criteria. I call them the trifecta of scale. Mm-hmm. Look at your products, put them on a whiteboard, put them on a piece of paper, and give them a score of a zero to 10 on the degree to which they are, one, teachable to employees, two, valuable to your customers, and three, repeatable, meaning they customers need to buy them on a repeatable, recurring basis. And to start to evaluate all your products and services, because I think you'll find some are very teachable, others are very valuable, but what you're really trying to do is identify the products and services that in total have the highest score. So if you give everyone a, a score out of, uh, out of 10, 
and look at the ones that are closest to 30. Those are the products and services that have the highest ability or best potential to scale up. And so if any of the stuff I'm talking about resonates, just grab a whiteboard, grab a piece of paper, and start to just write all the products and services that you sell down on a piece of paper, and then start to evaluate them on this criteria of how teachable they are to employees, valuable they are to customers, and repeatable they are. And uh, I think that's the first step. Yeah. You're reminding me of a quote that I love that I don't know the source of, but a confused mind always says no. <laughs> and if we have too many choices, um, if it's too complicated, then we, we shut down and we won't, we won't purchase, let alone subscribe. So I appreciate this, this idea of getting, I almost hear like, you know, you're getting back to basics, getting to the core of, I kind of go back to Jim Collins and the hedgehog concept, you know, what can you be the best of the world at? What drives your economic engine? And what fires you up? You know, what's your passion? So I, I see all sorts of intersections here, and I'm appreciating that. So just to wrap up, I have a question that I ask all of my guests. And that is, if you were granted a three-week vacation on Introvert Island, and you could only take three books with you, and that's the old-fashioned, you know, paper kind of book, what would you take with you and why? <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> I would, um, so I'm, a, I'm laughing because I'm just so, such a geek and, and I'm about to reveal it. I am, uh, <laughs> I'm a really practical guy, and as, as romantic as that question sounds, and, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure some people are, would, would take the most you know wonderful, eloquent tomes with them and become really educated about a subject. Right? I would take very practical book. Like I would take. Um, I have a book actually. I, I bought this book, so you're gonna laugh, but it's the SAS. Uh, survival handbook. Uh-huh. <laughs> so SAS being the special forces, um, you know, how to create a hammock out of a, you know, a fallen branch, how to, you know, <laughs> sterilize water with sunshine and a magnifying glass, whatever. This, right. this is a book that I would take. And it's, awesome. it's, it's devoid of all romance. There's nothing practical. I mean, it's completely practical. Right. Uh, but that's probably what I'd take. Awesome. Any other books that would uh, supplement that? <laughs> you have up to two more. Uh, no, I think I, I think I would it would be a well thumbed version of the SAS survival handbook. I think that would be my uh, my one and only choice. Awesome. I'm a focus guy, Pat. Now you know. Yes, that. I know I this. Can't yes. Three books. Come on, one. <laughs> get it right. <laughs> That's right. Too many choices. Just focus. That's right. <laughs> so, what's the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about you and your books and what you have to offer? Yeah, I mean, automaticcustomer.com, if you go there, you can opt in and get the ebook, which includes the nine subscription models, and it cl- oh. includes a case study of each, uh, who they work best for. And so that's probably the first place I'd start. And mm-hmm. then if you're interested in building the value of your company, um, go to valuebuildersystem.com. And there's a form there you can fill out and we'll get you information about the, the coaching that we do with, with entrepreneurs that are interested in building up the, the value of their business. So that's valuebuildersystem.com. Fabulous. Thank you so much. You have supplied us with a lot to think about. I think a lot of people will feel challenged to think about their businesses in maybe a new way. And, and that's a gift. So thank you so much for your generous sharing. Thanks, Beth. It was my pleasure. you enjoyed this episode of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. Upcoming episodes feature interviews with Andrea Lake, founder of MentorMojo.com and Season 5 candidate on The Apprentice, David Nihill of FunnyBiz, who will share tips on injecting humor into your presentations, and Matt Curry, also known as the ADD Entrepreneur. 
If you have a few minutes, I invite you to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and leave a review on iTunes. We'll close this episode where we began with talking a little bit about competition and comparison. And this is the wisdom of Eleanor Roosevelt from her book, This Is My Story. She says, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Thank you so much for listening. This is Beth Bilo of The Introvert Entrepreneur. And until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job. 